This is the Radio Bible Class, and I'm your host, Tim Carter. We welcome you to our Bible study as the Radio Bible Class streams across the nation and around the world. We bring to you a message how Christ ministers to his disciples after the resurrection. We greet you on the internet and radio with the message that Jesus is alive today. Now, today's lesson is titled, Put It Into Practice, and it comes from Philippians 4, 8 through 9. But before we start our lesson today, Word Talking could use your support. Now, playing music on the radio may sound simple, but actually it's quite costly due to publishing rights and royalties. And before that first song is ever played, there's utility bills and town rental fees and maintenance and so forth. We need people just like you to help with the tax-deductible gifts, so won't you do that today? You can do that by calling us at 601-483-8648, and there they can take your information safely and securely over the phone. Or mail us your gift to Word Talk, Inc., P.O. Box 4334, Meridian, Mississippi, 39304. Now, your gift to Word Talk, Inc. is IRS-approved as a 501c3 tax-exempt ministry. Your contribution is never used for salaries or managerial purposes, but 100% of it goes to the expense of providing the good news of Jesus Christ to our listening area. Hebrews 13.16 says, Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. If you'd like to go back and listen to a previous lesson, you can do that by going to our podcast website. That's Radio Bible Class with no space between radiobiblecast.podbean.com or catch us wherever you listen to your podcast. We're there too, whether that's iTunes or Google or Spotify. We're there. Just search for WMER Radio Bible Class with no space between Radio Bible Class. Well, today we pick back up in the book of Philippians. We've been going through it for several months now. Even though it's four chapters, there are some rich, unique verses in here. And today, we're only going to cover two verses. But I think it's very important that we understand what God is trying to teach us just in these two verses through His Word. You might ask, Tim, why are these two verses so important? Well, first of all, Paul addresses the importance of our thought life. You can put it this way about thoughts. Every sin starts with a thought, and then we act on it. What we see here is that when we have a thought, whether good or bad, a lot of times it becomes words, and those words become actions, and those actions become habits, and habits wind up becoming your character. So we need to guard our thoughts and renew our mind, exactly what Paul tells us right here in these two verses. So with that said, turn with me to Philippians 4, and I'll read these two verses from the ESV version real quickly. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellent, if there is any worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. I could summarize these two verses by saying that Paul knew that if we weren't spending our day thinking about good things, then we wouldn't do well. We would fail. We would fall into sin. Listen to what the Bible tells us in Romans 12 too. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. What the Bible is telling us here is that we're to transform our mind and that not only are we to do that, but God is assuring us that it's possible for us to do that. Now, I want to set a proper expectation. This 30-minute lesson isn't going to be able to transform your mind. It takes time, and we have to guard our mind. And so that's what Paul is teaching right here in verse 8. 
He's telling us that transforming our mind is paramount if we're going to have victory over our flesh. See, if we're not fighting the mind battle, then we're not going to win. I'm a big sports fan. Joe Theismann was interviewed. He was a quarterback for the Washington Redskins for those that don't follow football. He had a 12-year career. He was a really good quarterback. He went to the Super Bowl twice. One time they won, the second time they lost. And as he was being interviewed about the loss, reflecting on that, he said, I got stagnant. I thought the team revolved around me. I should have known it was time to go and leave the team when I didn't care whether the pass hit Art Monk in the number eight or the one on his uniform. But he says when he went back to the Super Bowl the second time that his approach had changed. It wasn't about hitting the eight or the one. He was griping about the weather. He was griping about his shoes. He was griping about the practice time and the amount of practice they had to do. He was griping about everything. He had burned out. And so what am I trying to tell you with this? Well, his thinking changed the outcome of the Super Bowl. The first time he was focused on where he is placing the ball. This time he was focused on all the things that were wrong. His bad thinking had a bad outcome. And it doesn't change for us. It's not just in the Super Bowl. It's in everyday life. How we look at a pitcher, whether the glass is half full or half empty, makes a difference on our outcome. Listen to what the Bible tells us in Proverbs 23, 7. We'll read this from the King James Version. Again, Proverbs 23, 7. For as he thinketh in his heart, so he is. Eat and drink, saith he to thee, but his heart is not with you. So what the King James is saying to us is as we think in our heart, as we think in our soul, that's the behavior. That's what manipulates us. That's what drives behavior. So what do you think matters? So whatever you think, you are going to become. I mean, think about this. Sin doesn't start with the action. I know we always talk about the action, but it starts with a thought that gives birth to the sin. Jesus discussed the significance of the mind. He said it in Matthew 5.28. Listen to what it says. Matthew 5.28 from the ESV. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Here Jesus uses the example of lust and adultery right there by a thought. But our world is full of temptation. And lust is just one of the many things that we battle with through our mind. We look at something and we want it and it affects how we go after it. And sometimes it causes us to make bad choices. And a matter of fact, a lot of times it leads to division of the home, putting people in jail. Lust, whether it's over sex or money or whatever, is not good. And all that starts with a thought. Think about the principle of sowing and reaping. When you plant a seed, it produces a fruit. Well, same thing happens when that thought comes into your mind. It is a seed that planted there that produces a fruit, and the fruit is an action. Look what the Bible says in the New Testament at James 1, 14 and 15. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. James, the half-brother of Jesus, is telling us that what we think matters. The Bible tells us what we think matters. See, our thoughts become an action, and our actions become a habit, and our habit wind up building our character, and that's what gets us into trouble. Everything starts with a thought. 
The Bible tells us in Galatians 6 verse 8 that those who sow to the flesh will reap destruction, but those who sow to the Spirit will reap everlasting life. So again, the idea of a seed produces a fruit. If you want to change the course of your life, you need to get control of your thought life. And we do that by dying to ourselves daily and reading and being in God's word and hiding it in our heart. The psalmist understood this in Psalms 119.11. He says, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. In other words, I have stored up your word, your rules, the, your ways in my soul, in my heart, in my mind. I'm trying to control my thoughts so I don't sin against you. You probably know I'm a big sports person because I always use sports analogies. But again, another analogy is no coach goes and tells his players to think of the worst. Picture themselves losing. No coach will do that. And if he does, he won't be a coach long. No coaches will tell you to go up there and picture you winning. Go in there and picture that you are successful. You did this. You overcame whatever it is you're facing. And so our thought life matters. As a matter of fact, Ephesians tells us that we need to put off our old self, our former conduct, the old man, and we need to put on the new man. We need to renew our mind, our spirit, and that is putting on the new man, the righteousness in the mind of Christ that we got when we were saved. And let me tell you, there are a lot of Christians walking around right now that haven't put off the old conduct. They haven't put off the old man. They're living still in the old man's body. How do I know that? Because their actions say that they're still acting on old man thoughts. And so what this verse right here in verse 8 and 9 tells us is that we have the power through the Holy Spirit to overcome. But what do we got to do? We got to watch what we watch. We got to be careful what we listen to. We got to be careful what we read. And we got to be really careful what we ingest into our mind. Most of you that hear me right now are from the South, and you were taught from a young age that we play nice with everyone. We befriend those who have a difference with us. Now, we may not think they're the coolest or the prettiest or the funniest. We may not fit into their circle, but we were taught to play nice with them. This is the benevolent approach to living that we've been taught in the South. And as a Christian, we should learn to live a benevolent life. But we have to be selective even with our best friends. Because it's been said, the five people closest to you shape your success. They shape your interest. They have a bigger influence than anything else on your life. All these things, what you watch, what you listen to, what you read, who you hang out with, how you talk, how you think, is affecting your actions and your character ultimately. And so what Paul is trying to teach the church at Philippi and what he's really teaching us as we dive into these two verses is that we need to renew our mind in the spirit of the new man mind. What we say to ourselves, because that's who we have the longest conversation with all during the day. It's not your spouse. It's not your kids. You talk to yourself all day long and what you tell yourself matters. And what does Paul tell the church at Philippi? He says that we should think about things that are true. We should think about things that are noble. We should think about things that are pure and lovely, things of good report, things that are praiseworthy. Those are the things we should think about, not evil, but true, noble, just, pure, and lovely. And hey, I'm going to take off this teacher's hat for a minute. 
Because I can tell you there's time where I missed the mark. We've all missed the mark. And so it's easy to focus on the evil of this world and be sucked into thinking about the ways of the world. And even if you don't miss the mark, when you come home and you cut the TV on, you see all the evil on the news. You read about it on the internet. It's easy to get sucked into the evil side and to put those thoughts or those seeds into your mind. Well, do you remember that verse I read to you at Romans 12, 2? Going down to Romans 12, 21, guess what it says? It says, do not be overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. So we're to die to ourselves. We're to put on our new self and we're to catch ourselves. Paul says. And Paul says, dwell on these things. Dwell on the good things, not the evil things. Dwell on the things that are lovely, that are noble. Those are the things, things that are true, and that is how we walk victoriously. He also says, think about hope. You know, again, I know people all the time that only think about destruction. They're always looking for what's going to go wrong. They're always pointing out everything that's wrong. Again, several weeks ago, I told you about my daughter who had appendicitis. I was speaking to someone at our church down in Florida, and he was surprised that I gave praise and glory to God over the appendicitis. He's like, how can you do that? Don't you see that she could have died? I said, yes, but you have to look at the glass half full that she was with us. We immediately saw that something was wrong. We were there to help her get her to the hospital. We were there as a support system that she didn't have in Mississippi by herself. I could tell you story after story like this. It's all in our perspective and how we think. And again, the devil and the world wants you to look at the glass half empty. How someone has more money than you. How someone has a better job than you. How someone has more entitlement than you. Someone has a better education than you. But the Bible tells us to look at it the other way. Look at how many times we've been blessed. What we do have. I have a house over my head. I'm able to sleep out of the rain, out of the cold, out of the heat. I have air conditioning. I have food on the table. Those are things that we can be blessed for whether someone has more than us or not. And so we need to think on hope, not destruction. As Christians, we must constantly be hoping for good outcomes. We should be praying for good outcomes. The psalmist wrote in Psalms 33, 17 and 18, that the eyes of the Lord are on those who fear him, on those whose hope is in his unfailing love. Hope in God instead of yourself. Hope in God instead of your friends or your circumstances. God is the source that we need to be going to. Listen to what the Bible says in 1 Timothy 4, 7. It says, Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. In other words, don't waste time arguing over godless ideas or old wives' tales. Instead, put God's word in your heart. Train yourself towards righteousness. Look, there's multiple ways to do this. One way that I tell people is journal. You know, others is talk to someone, reflect the idea of talking and reflecting and journaling is writing down what you're thinking and how to talk it out, to get it off your chest instead of letting it be built in. But the Bible tells us that we are to think lovely thoughts. We're not to think angry thoughts. The Bible encourages us to be loving, not angry. Now, this is an area I'm working on. I can tell you that one of the places I see my anger come out is when I'm behind the wheel. Someone cuts me off. Someone cuts in front of me. Or someone speeds up just to get in front of me, even though there's a long line. And I, I don't know where it comes from, but it's an area that I'm working on in my life. I'm trying to be transparent with you. 
that anger comes out. Like, why do they think they're better than me? The Lord tells me that I should be merciful. I should be gracious. I should allow them to take that spot. I should allow them to go before me. And so I need to die to the old man. That's the old man. That's the flesh coming out, not the new man. Again, I think about a leadership quote that I can't change what the world throws at me. I can't change how people treat me, but I can choose how I react to it. And again, if I'm walking in the spirit, then I'm going to react in a different way. The Bible tells us that a soft answer turns away wrath. That right there tells us that when we're operating in the spirit, the things that people come at us, they're trying to start something We calm it down because they don't expect us. They expect us to come to their level. So again, think about lovely things. Choose not to be angry. So what Paul tells them is, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, whatever is excellent, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about those things. So I've, I've beat this horse enough, I think, about thinking. But then why should we do this other than it affects Our outcome, we've already established that. But look at what he says in verse 9. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and that the God of peace be with you. Now, first of all, he's not an arrogant person. When he says, what you've seen in me, do also, the Bible didn't exist at that time. These were new Christians. Matter of fact, the church at Philippi was mostly Gentiles, so they hadn't been raised with the Bible. They had learned about gods, but not the one true living God. And so he's saying, what you've seen in me, what you've received and that that I've told you, practice those things. When I read this verse, it immediately makes me think of Rich Wilkerson. You know, my kids love Rich Wilkerson. They listen to him a lot. But he said something one time that really stuck with me. As you know, he's down in Miami, so he's in out by the beach. And he says, it amazes me that people will go to the beach and they get sunburned. They know about sunblock. They know about putting lotion on. But if you don't put it on, even if you know about it, if you don't put it into practice, you're going to get burned. And that's what Paul is saying right here is when we don't apply the suntan lotion, when we don't think true thoughts, when we don't think honorable thoughts, when we don't do the things that the Bible tells us to do, we're going to get burned. But if we put into practice the things that the Bible says, then we have a better outcome. It's not always the best outcome. It may not be the outcome that we would have chosen. It may not be the outcome that we wish for. But I assure you, it's a better outcome when we react the way the Bible teaches us that we should react. It makes me think about Elijah. When God told him to go to King Ahab, Elijah, this comes from 1 Kings uh, chapter 17. Elijah goes to King Ahab and he tells him that you're going into a drought. No dew, no rain for the next few years, except when the Lord tells me to speak again. Now, after he delivers that word to King Ahab, the Lord then tells him that he is to go to the brook east of Jordan. And there he's directed ravens to supply him with the food he needs there. He goes to Kareth, that is what, sure enough, the ravens bring him bread and they bring him meat and he drinks from the, the brook. Everything he needs is being given to him. But then one day the brook dried up and he's told that there's not going to be any rain in the land. So what I want you to do is I want you to go to Zarephath and I want you to go find this widow woman and she's going to supply you with food. 
But think about this for a second. First of all, Zarephath was like the Bible belt for idolatry. And then God's told him to go to a woman who's going to supply him with food. Widow women were the poorest of the poorest. As he goes like he's supposed to Zarephath, he gets to the gate and there's the woman. She's gathering sticks. He calls her and says, hey, woman, bring me something to drink. And while you're doing that, bring me a piece of bread too. And the woman tells him, well, first of all, I don't have any bread. I only have a handful of flour and a little oil. And I'm going to use that to fix my last meal so that me and my son may eat it and die. And Elijah tells her, don't be afraid. Go do what I've told you. Go get me my drink. Bring me my bread. And he tells her that this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says for you to do. And there'll be plenty more for you and your son. And so she does it. She brings Elijah. And there was food every day for Elijah and the woman and her family. The jar of flour was not used up and the jug of oil just kept coming. It never ran dry. Let's just stop and think about what transpired. First of all, God told Elijah to go do something and he did it. And then next he's told to go out into the wilderness, not some holiday inn, not some Hilton hotel, not some five course to seven course meal. No, he's told to go to the wilderness and drink from the brook and the ravens will feed you. How many of us, first of all, will be willing to do what Elijah did? How many of us would be willing to go out to the wilderness, to live off the land, to be fed by the, the animals? Or how many of us would go to the poor side of town and ask someone to help us if God told us to? We won't even go to the poor side of town when God tells us to go help them. But our perspective needs to be like Elijah. See, Elijah wasn't operating out of his flesh. Elijah was operating out of the spirit side. Elijah put his trust in God. Elijah understood that the God of Israel, the Lord, was going to take care of him and he had in the past. And so my question to you today is how come are you looking at the glass half empty? How come are you not putting your trust in the Lord? How come are you putting your trust in you and your ideology? It's because we're not operating in the new man. See, Elijah wasn't conformed to the world. He wasn't operating off the way the world operated. He wasn't working off worldly behaviors. He had a transformed mind. Some of us fall short because we think this transformation is switching from a to-do list of the flesh to a do list of the law. We're going to follow the law. But that's not what Paul really tells us. Paul tells us that we are to replace it with the Spirit. And what comes out of having the Spirit operate in us is the fruit of the Spirit. Listen to Galatians 5, at the fruit, and then tie this back to the way Paul says we should think. Galatians 5, 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. See, if we want the fruit of the Spirit, that love, that joy, that peace, that patience, that kindness, then we have to watch what we put in our mind. We have to be careful what we think about. We have to be careful what we look at. We have to be careful what we ingest into ourselves. If we're not thinking about what's pure and what's lovely and what's commendable and what's excellent, if it's not about walking in the Spirit and what God wants, if it's not worthy of praise, then we shouldn't be ingesting it. And then we're promised if we will practice these things, the God of peace will be with us. In other words, if we operate in the Spirit, and that's the only way it's going to happen, then we have God with us, and we're operating with the Spirit in us. We're not putting Him back and putting Him in a box. We're allowing Him 
to operate with us and for us and through us. I'm going to wrap up with this final thought because I'm already out of time. But he says, practice these things. And that's the title of today's lesson is put it into practice. Let me ask you, did you know that Michael Jordan, probably the best basketball player that ever played, had a coach and he had to practice? Did you know Tiger Woods hit over 5,000 golf balls a day? Did you know that Mickey Mantle went out and hit baseballs every single day so that when he got up to bat, he would recognize the pitch? What the Bible is telling us is that we have to practice these things. They just don't happen. Even though they are in us, we have to learn to use them. Just like the example of if we have a car. Just because we have a car doesn't mean we know how to drive it. We have to learn how to drive that car. We have to study the rules. We have to understand the rules of the road so that we don't have a wreck, that we don't have a bad outcome. The same thing happens here. Paul tells us that we need to practice these things, that they're down in us, but we need to think about the right stuff. We need to be careful what we put in our mind, and then we need to put it into practice. We need to take the things that are good and lovely and put in us and practice those things. I go back to Joe Theismann. He had two outcomes. He had a Super Bowl where he had the right mindset, and he had a failed Super Bowl where he said that he showed up. He took things for granted, and he was focused on the negative and not the positive. So let me ask you, what are you putting in your thought process? What are you allowing in to your mind to plant a seed that will produce a fruit? Is it honorable? Is it just? Is it pure? Is it lovely? Is it commendable? Is it excellent? Is it worthy of praise? And if you are doing those, are you putting it into practice? Or do you expect for it just to happen? For us as Christians to be successful and put it into practice, then we first have to be focused on Jesus and what he did on the cross. And he has to be number one in our book. He has to truly be Lord of our life. And then two, we have to put others above us. We have to live a benevolent life. And last, we need to be like the Bible says, that we're going to hide God's word in our heart. We need to be in the word so that spiritually we have Christ in us. And so the question is, are you willing to delete the files that are in your mind and put new files in there, better files, things that will help you be more spiritual, those that will help you walk closer with God, those that will help you have deeper relationships with those around you? So ultimately, are you going to put it into practice? Are you going to take what you hear and learn and live it out? Let us pray. Dearly Father, we come before you today, Lord. We thank you for this time together. Lord, this is a sanctification process. And I know this ties back to us having perfect peace. And when we're truly trusting in you, like Elijah trusted in you, when we know and put all our trust in you that you're going to give us what is good. Now, it may not be what we wanted. It may not be what we envisioned. But you're going to give us what we need. And we get it just in time that we need it. Lord, I pray right now that those listening to this lesson today, that it will fall on fertile soil. Lord, that they will start putting it into practice. Lord, that they'll be more aware of what they are ingesting what they're watching, what they're listening to, who they're hanging out with. And Lord, that they will renew that mind because our thoughts do matter. Sin starts with a thought and how we handle that thought determines an outcome. Lord, I pray right now for those that are struggling with whatever they're struggling with. And Lord, maybe they're trying to do it in their own strength. 
Or maybe they just need a word of encouragement that we're going to blow it a time or two, but we can overcome that when we become more aware, when we have an accountability group that helps us with that. Lord, whatever it is, Lord, I, I pray that they will speak with someone about it, someone that will help them overcome whatever they're struggling with. Lord, so that they can have a more deep and intimate walk with you and not let that hold them back. But Lord, let us put into practice those things that we study today. And Lord, maybe there's one that doesn't know you at all. Today, I pray that they would make you Lord of their life. Lord, they would admit that they're a sinner, that they need a Savior. Lord, they would admit they need you to help them overcome their sin problem. Lord, I pray that they'll believe on your finished work on the cross, how you were the ultimate sacrifice. Not only did you die for their sins on the cross, but you overcame death and gave us an eternal hope. And Lord, I pray that they will commit that you are Lord of their life. They'll chase after you. They'll follow your commandments. Lord, we thank you for all the blessings you give this ministry. Lord, I pray for each and every one that hears this message, that they'll have a blessed week. Lord, we love you. We praise you. It's in your name. Amen.